0: Welcome to another Distinct Nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast.
1: Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. Staying well, staying home.
0: Now on Distinct Nostalgia, we continue our comedy writing legends series as we meet Jan Etherington, who together with her husband Gavin Petrie penned Second Thoughts, one of the most successful and enduring British sitcoms of the 1990s. Starring James Bolam and Linda Bellingham, it followed the lives of two middle-aged divorcees and lasted for five series. Jan and Gavin created a plethora of other hits, as well as starring roles for some of TV's best female talent, including Penelope Keith, Belinda Lang and Julia Sawala. Jan's latest sitcom creation, Conversations from a Long Marriage, stars Joanna Lumley and has just begun a second series in the coveted 6.30 evening slot on Radio 4. Here's part one of Ashley's chat with Jan Etherington. Enjoy!
2: Jan, lovely to talk to you for distinct um, nostalgia about your illustrious comedy writing uh, career which goes back... uh, quite a long way. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> but but I'll, I'll, I want you to go right back to the beginning actually and, and tell, oh. <laughs> tell me tell me how it all started because you weren't originally a comedy writer were you?
1: No I don't like being caught co- you know they come out and say veteran comedy writer. I'm trying to pretend I'm in my prime. Anyway um, yes it does go back a long way in fact it goes back to school when I was my first published work was in the school magazine a poem about dogs. Big ones, short ones, tall ones, small ones, it started. It didn't get any better. But it took me into a desire and a passion for writing. And I was a rock and roll writer, journalist for many years and also writing for feature magazines. And that's where I met Gavin Petrie, my husband, who was features editor of both She at one time, but TV Times, where I was writing features for TV Times. And that's where we got to meet a a lot of producers, producers, Uh, broadcasters and got really to know a lot about the business of writing and there were a lot of fairly rubbish comedies in the early 80s I have to say and my and Gavin's feeling was we could do better than this (laughs) so so you know we could have gone straight into a pit at that point but we played it sort of safe by writing Second Thoughts our first series uh, which started on Radio 4 in uh, 1987 but um In fact, uh, actually it was 88, I forget so easily these days. Um, But uh, the thing about Second Thoughts was it's very autobiographical comedy. Gavin and I had got together a second marriage. I had two teenagers, a very large English setter dog, and he had an ex-wife. And it was very much about trying to find the magic amongst the mundanity of life. And the humour came out of that. started on Radio 4 and, as you probably know, then went to London Weekend. Four or five series and lots of fun, indeed.
2: So you're writing about what you knew, which is which is which yes. is always the best way, obviously. I think yes. really, to, to th- write about it, that, certainly um,
1: to start that way. Yeah, I think, yeah, actually, abso- you know? a,
2: a, absolutely. And how did it, you know, how did it play on Radio Four at the beginning? We'll talk about the TV version because obviously that's what we all yes. remember. Well, we
1: had we had um, a kind of uh, a god mentor called Pete Atkin, who was then head of Radio Four comedy, and who. Uh, Had us in for a meeting. Um, Initially, I must have to tell you that the year before, Gavin and I had run the Sounds Funny competition, which was run by Radio Times for finding new comedy writers. The judges were Victoria Wood, Prunella Scales and uh, Douglas Adams, who wrote Hitchhikers. So it was very illustrious panel anyway we won that with a comedy that wasn't this one it was another one but Pete Atkin got in touch he was head of Radio 4 and said come in for a meeting when we came out we thought he thought we were the best writers on the planet and then we realized he'd asked us to write pretty much the whole thing (laughs) but he did it so charmingly you know and that's the great thing about radio for writers it's a great place to start because people are so nice and they're not worried about money which is (laughs) You know, somebody said to me, do you do anything for charity? I said, yes, I write for Radio 4.
2: <laughs> yes, I know the feeling on that one. <laughs> yes, you <laughs> Working, do. <laughs> work, making programmes for radio, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Well, we do it for the love of it, don't we? do it for the love of it. Um, and, <laughs> what... but to,
1: go, to go back to why yeah, we wrote it, yeah. we, we wrote it for, about us, but we wrote it because we wanted to write something for Linda Bellingham, um, who was then pretty much mostly known for the Oxo commercial. And we had sat and watched that commercial and thought, how does this woman portray so much in 30 seconds? You know, she was the vamp and the earth mother. There was that wonderful one where she got the casserole and they were all around the table. And she said, um, no, no, Neil, no, uh, there's no garlic in it. Yes, Alice and Dolly will love it. And then she leans across the table and she says, and Michael, with these big brown eyes, remember Preston. <laughs> and I thought, this is an extraordinary talent here. And she's not being used. So Gavin and I took her out to lunch she said, we want to write a comedy for you. And she said, oh, that's jolly nice. And I thought she probably has asked that a lot. But it happened. And, of course, with Linda being a strong character, we wanted a strong male lead. And we thought James Bolam would be pretty good because Gavin is a Scot and Jimmy is a, a, a Northeasterner. But we just thought we wanted that kind of not that perceived... What is it called? Received pronunciation... We wanted, especially on radio, we wanted some nice earthy voices. And, of course, Jimmy and Linda together were pretty impressive. And it, instead of being a comedy about a woman who was suddenly finding a second love, it was about a couple getting together and actually learning to live together with her kids and his ex-wife in the background and and the dog on the sofa. So, you know, it was... And uh, we did have Linda's dog as casting for the first series because he was a border collie and supposed to be intelligent. The problem with Star was whenever the camera moved towards him, he barked. (laughs) So this is pretty exhausting for the production team. So we got a complete idiot, which was our English setter, Levi. And the directions read, dog lies on bed and won't get off for their first night of passion, which couldn't have been easier for an English setter to achieve. So he became Pretty much the biggest star of the show, I have to say. We had to limit his appearances because the audience loved him. And where is it supposed to be set? Where are they? Well, we did actually film in East Dulwich. um, But they are in uh, probably a satellite town of of a large city. Uh, Pretty much you'd have to assume it was the South East because of the children's accents. Uh, but we didn't specify by references to places they were going, except that they were supporters of Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> so that sort of leads you towards thinking it's a London club. But, yes, yeah, so we play, we placed it in the London suburbs, uh, non-specifically. And we also had Belinda Lang, starring as Jimmy's ex-wife, who had also starred in 2.4 Children. She's fantastic and funny and fabulous. And, of course, Julia Suwala, who was running parallel with... Um, I fab at the time. You know, it's just so unfortunate, isn't it, that you come out with a really great idea and somebody actually produces another one that's better and gets more publicity. But Second Thoughts did run for a very long time and we had a really nice time doing it. So we can't complain. It was a great show to work with, those two, or those four, um, and just produce something so long-running. Who was the young guy, the, the son? Young Mark Denham, who... Uh, wasn't a sort of a stage school kid. Just really, he had that lovely deadpan delivery. Because my son was that sort of age, and in fact, and my daughter was Julia's age, very much Julia's age. And um, Julia said, "Oh, I'm really nervous. It's like difficult playing a real person." <laughs> I said, but, you know, Lucy... We, we we had to wait for the kids to do something appalling to write an episode. So when Lucy had her 15th birthday party and the police came, it was perfect for episode three, series... Episode two, I think, in series two. So it, it all pretty much happened with exaggerations, but it was very much about the life we were living then.
2: We'll be back after a quick break. But you still loading them and heating them up with all your single shit you've been dropping...
1: You feel yeah. me? Loading them up on. It, it only takes structure. And and you know, just paying attention to the climate of the game. Yeah. Know what I mean? So do do your homies uh got a role in your in your little you know what I mean Yeah, yeah. We all we all artists over here, man. I'm, y'all trying, all yeah, oh, I'm yeah. trying Oh, I'm trying, Yeah, I'm trying I'm trying, I'm trying to get them on there. Yeah, yeah, that. Quiet. No, look look, that. We all artists, man. We go you feel me, we gonna have this like Bro me and my man like me and my man Kyle we be like I don't know we play we play with this, <laughs> play shit, right with this right? shit I gonna lie we play with this shit right
3: now for a lie. Don't, oh, don't, don't play, lie.
1: Don't it play with it Not. take that shit seriously.
2: Now it started on the radio and the, the great thing yes. about it is that it, a lot of it is about words it's about the yes. language isn't it which is which, so I suppose it worked very well on yes. the radio um, how did it go down on the radio? Was it popular on the radio? Did people
1: love it on well, the radio? Well, the, the opening scene was Linda and Jimmy are lying in bed, and of course they weren't married, and, um, and I think she's, she turned to him and said, well, I'm usually in Sainsbury's about now, and he said, well, just think of me as this week's special offer. And we got a letter from a lady saying, I do not want sex on my radio at 6.30. So the obvious response was, what time would you like it, madam? Anyway, we didn't do that. We apologise, obviously. But it was, and of course we had a scene in later episodes where... Jimmy proposed to Linda in the bath, so we had a rubber duck and a bucket. To be honest, that's something, the great thing about radio, you couldn't do that on television with two actors in their later you know, middle age. We couldn't have got away with it and wouldn't have wanted to and they wouldn't have wanted to do it, but on radio it's hilarious and and works really well. We just had uh, a young guy with a, a rubber duck and a bucket and a splashing machine, and and it worked brilliantly, and everybody believed it. So radio is fantastic for that, because obviously, and you can see it with things like Hitchhikers and, and a series of your imagination that you can use, the audience always want to know, want to create something in their mind for radio, and it's not all on a plate. So it does. But the, the thing about moving from radio to television is you sometimes find you need fewer words, because obviously... You've got two actors, leading ones, but also the rest of the cast, with terrific body language and physical ability. Linda is a spectacularly good natural clown. Uh, there are a few of them. I think Lucille Ball, obviously, was one, and Miranda Hart, probably, is another. But there are very few women who don't care how they look when they are literally being pulled through a hedge backwards. And Linda is fantastic at doing all that. And she was obviously the first and only choice.
2: Absolutely. Now, just going back to her for a second in terms of the way you you know, I remember on those uh, those commercials, and, mm-hmm. and those commercials had become like a a series, anyway, hadn't they? In a way, they were yes. sort of a little bit yes. of a soap opera, really. Yeah. But I suppose yes. she'd become typecast by that a little bit, had she? In a way.
1: In a way, but I, I, you know, a lot of actors do. They have that. She's got that empathy. She's well, she's got that. Um, as I said, the Earth Mother and the Vamp combination, uh, which makes her a very attractive actress to watch. And also, everybody wants to be her friend. When I've travelled with Linda, and I went to the Maldives with her once, for goodness sake, and everybody wanted to talk to her. She stood up for about the nine-hour flight, I think, because she couldn't sit, everybody was saying, oh, Linda, come over. Um, And she is so likable and that is a very 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 valuable thing for an actor and, and she that, can um,
2: play. That, that warmth comes over in a, mm. in a in the character she played as well doesn't it to
1: be honest. absolutely you know. and we were writing to her strengths which were many uh, and that that vulnerability that she she can show so well you know and she's insecure about the relationship or the kids are misbehaving and the emotions you know she can she can she's brilliant and she's physically very very good she can literally fall over the back of a sofa so in tra- and she did. In, in in
2: transferring <laughs> it from radio to telly yeah. Um I never heard the radio version. I watched lots and lots of the TV ones. In fact, it's been shown quite a bit recently on uh, yeah. on, on one of the channels. Forces TV, I think, have been showing it. If I remember yeah. My it.
1: sister was saying, I yeah, haven't found yeah, it yet. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, they're showing all sorts. Actually, it's a default channel for me at the moment because if there's nothing oh, on elsewhere, I go up. there. <laughs> 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 that 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 and Talking Pictures, which is uh, doing very oh, well. Oh yes, I love that. Yeah, too. absolutely. Yeah. So um, yeah, on the right. So did you? Did you just do the, the TV on the radio, i.e. did you carry... No, did, no, no. Did you do did no, new, new, um, new episodes? New. It's very yeah. different.
1: Yeah. A, we've got location filming. So we filmed some location things. Uh, obviously, there were scenes outside. And then showed those films to the studio audience. We had a studio audience, obviously. Fantastic studio audience. And, um, and then we filmed the actual episodes that were in the house in front of the studio, when it's slotted in the relevant location, scenes within the storyline, and uh, and from that point of view, you could do a lot more, visual obviously visually, but physically as well in television terms, and uh, and you could see the dog, which of course everybody loved. <laughs> That's all they
2: want. But what I'm saying is, you explored new stories as opposed to just taking the radio Oh, we had to, to, yeah, because
1: yeah. we were running for five series on on ITV, three stroke four series was a Christmas episode as well on uh, on the radio, um, and yes, we did expand the story. We brought in new storylines because they were visually fun. You know, we could do that, and uh, and we we certainly didn't just slap the radio scripts into the T V. You know, we changed the font. I mean, but no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Seriously, we did. We did do a whole rethink because we knew that their faces were so expressive that a sigh from James Bolan was worth a thousand words. You know, absolutely. So did, did, he did a scene. I have to tell you, go. with the dog. This was this was my huge English setter. Levi, who was lying on the bed, as he had been used to doing when Linda was a a divorcee, the first night of passion they had, the dog wouldn't get off the bed. So James finally got him outside the bedroom door, sat him down at the top of the stairs and said, look, I know she's your mistress, but she's my mistress too, and I really would like a little time together. And I hope you don't mind, but we would like a little privacy and no howling. And Levi looked at James and just opened his mouth in this massive yawn <laughs> and turned his head. Well, Jimmy lost it at that point. He laughed so much. We had to do it again, sadly. But uh, Levi obviously wasn't used to retakes because he just sat there, very stone-faced. But they have the very lugubrious face, the setter. And, of course, the crew laughed a lot. And, and we had the, the duvet over the bed with Levi on it every time the camera moved, his tail wagged. So the director said, I'm sorry, I think this might look a little suspicious on the screen. So could somebody uh, lean on Levi or move, move the duvet? So we had all that going on. Um, and he did take up a lot of time, to be honest. He a lot more hard work. Mind you, as writers, the only time we got a dressing room was when we were with the dog. We had <laughs> Levi and handlers on the door, not the writers. And I had a new neighbor who moved in and we were out with the dog and she said, Oh, hi. She said, do you know, funny thing, I just watched a show last night and there was a dog just like that dog in the show. And I said, it it, it is that dog and we are the writers of the show. And she said, I can't believe I live next door to such a famous dog.
2: (laughs) Well, fabulous. fabulous. Now, it it ended (laughs) up on
1: ITV. Why didn't it end up on BBC TV? We took it to BBC TV. It got turned down. We took it again to BBC. It got turned down. We got a letter. I think I still have the letter saying we love the actors, we love the story, we love the, the synopsis, we love the ideas, we love the number of episodes, we love the, the children, we love the actors, we love the dog, but we think it's a radio piece. Then the wonderful Greg Dyke, who was then running ITV, uh, London Weekend, met us at a press launch for something else, and he said, I've been listening to Second Thoughts on the radio, send me the tapes. So we did. There were tapes in those days, you know, heavy heavy jobs. And um. And he said, right, I love it, I'll have six, and um, overturned everything. You know, we wanted it to go to the BBC, who wouldn't? It started on the BBC, it was a natural BBC fit, but uh, at the time there was a a sort of feeling, I think, in, in BBC television that we don't want radio seconds, it was that kind of thing. They wanted to create new original series and and didn't understand the value of something that was already a proven success now it's very different they'll snatch your hand off <laughs> yeah hope yeah well we're
2: we're hoping that with our with our current uh, show that we're doing, so fingers crossed um that t v might might pick it up at some point but um in terms of in terms of second thoughts, well, I loved it, I think it's a fantastic um uh, a fantastic cast um they all gel really well, and it's one of those sitcoms that you can. I don't know. It's just I hate to say gentle humor, but it is gentle in a way, and actually that's quite nice in a way. It's quite yeah, nice. Yeah, I, I like that, you know. to
1: think it's believable humor. Yes, that's what definitely. I. But you know how you kind of think, oh, for goodness' sake, sometimes in comedy, why is he speaking to her like that? Or I don't believe that relationship. You know, I like to think that that homing, honing it on radio, where we had that long period of time, by the time they came to LWT, they were cooking. They knew each other. They spent time together. They knew each other's, you know, quirks and and the way they worked. And they were comfortable. You believe they were together. You know, that's
2: important. Had they not worked together before?
1: I don't think so. I think they might have come across each other in something like the Sweeney or something. But I don't think they'd actually worked together. No, they hadn't worked together as a couple, like, as closely as that. Um, But Linda and Julia became very close in fact, Julia stayed with Linda for quite a long time when she was moving out of the house. And um, and it was lovely to see their relationship blossom. They were really close. Um,
2: but what about um, um, Jimmy and Linda in terms of the chemistry that they built? Obviously, it will have, will have got better and better and better over time. Yes. But, you know, obviously the you know Jimmy's massively long-established actor, been around a long, yes. long time. You know, when the boat comes in, likely uh, dad. Sorry, like that's our comedy. Let, that, me it, let me do that's it again. You. I did. I nearly did that the other day with, with Clement Stop. and. Uh, <laughs> Can't resist pushing
1: your own show? Um, <laughs>
2: well, let me do, yeah, sorry, let me do it again. One second. tapes. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, Sorry. So he went back a long way. You know, when the boat comes in. Uh, the Likely Lads, uh, the Beiderbecke tapes, uh, one of my favourites. Uh, Eric Chappell's only when I laugh, of course. He done yes. all sorts of things over yes, the years. Yes, he did. And this was um, a sort of. This was a sort of. I could, you could see there was some traditional Jimmy in there, but it, yes. it was a departure from what he'd done before, wasn't it? It was. You know. He was
1: a romantic lead, which is really unusual for him. You know, he just didn't do that very often. He was usually quite waspish and Victor Meldrewish. But the thing about Jimmy and Linda is that he said Linda was one of the strongest actresses he'd ever worked. He had to really play strong to meet Linda. And I think that's really... Um, a compliment to both of them. They didn't mess around, you know, they were really on the button every time and funny together and both. Whenever anybody new came into the cast for a small part, you could tell that this was a really seriously working comedy. You know, it was was straight, there was no pratting about. It was very, very efficiently run and Linda was... You know, crack the whip quite often. And in terms
2: of their work life or his work life, was that based roughly on your sort of lives as well? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a convenient vehicle for us because he was the magazine editor. Linda was a freelance, which was very similar to Gavin and I. She was an artist and I was a writer, obviously. But, and it was an arts magazine, it was a sort of design magazine but their their the structure of their working lives was very similar to the to ours really she was working from home but coming in to meet him and you know it was very much a parallel with what we were doing and also he could tell her what to do for work which was always a matter of friction i think that's why we started writing comedy so i could have an equal partnership <laughs> Instead of just being a mere freelance, as Kevin used to say,
2: <laughs> brilliant. Now, of course, um, I'm just thinking of some of the different storylines. Of course, yes, you, you've got the, the the situation with his ex-wife is obviously a big part of this on a regular basis, isn't it?
1: That wasn't really based on real life. That was one one of the things that Pete Atkin at Radio 4 said, why don't you bring in another dimension to this? We hadn't actually written an ex-wife. But that was a very good vehicle because she was also working with him at many parts of the the show, especially in the TV series. And that caused quite a lot of resentment from Faith. But... um, if you watched it right through to the end, it was the first time they ever met, was in the last scene of the last episode. So it was that they actually went through five series without ever meeting, deliberately.
2: Was that the one where she was pregnant?
1: Yes, and she took her to the hospital. Yeah, yeah. They, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, that
2: broke the uh, ice. <laughs> yeah, anyway. it certainly did. That was
1: yeah. There was some doubt whether Jimmy was the father. Um, Liza had a number of relationships over the series, so it was she wasn't quite sure, to be honest, who was the father. Eliza came into Harpo's to look for someone to drive her to the hospital because she was having labour pains and suddenly Faith was there. And it was the first and only time that Faith and Liza, Linda Bellingham and Belinda Lang, had met in the whole five series. And those two actresses had spent a lot of time around each other on the show over those years. But this was their first um, meeting on screen. So it was a brilliant moment and they're so fabulous together. And uh, Liza was looking for someone to drive her to the hospital, in walked faith looking for Bill. And uh, after a double take or two, she offered to drive her. So the two of them had a sort of fairly tetchy drive to the hospital. And um, Liza browsed through the door in her usual way, saying, I'm with Booper, take me somewhere carpeted. And when the baby was born, uh, the wonderful final... Um, moments of the entire series, uh, Liza shows uh, Faith the baby and says, uh, would you like to hold him? He's quite nice, isn't he? And Faith said, yes, he is. He actually looks just like Bill, at which point Bill walks through the door of the hospital. And that is the end of Second Thoughts. But, I, but um. But yes, they they certainly, uh, Linda and and Belinda were really great friends. They're they're just both fantastic actors. And Belinda's got that lovely sort of Noel Coward type 1930s glamour, so she can vamp about. She got the best wardrobe in the show, I have to say. I think she still she still got some of it, was given some of it. But yes, yeah, she did really. She was fantastic. A lovely balance for Linda, actually, and a lovely foil for Jimmy as well. Oh, yeah. You could see Jimmy respected both the girls, both the women. He was very he's he pulled up his best game for them, though it, it it was really good to see them together. We've always written that in all our shows, the partnership has got to be equal. I hate the idea of dozy husbands who don't know what day it is and can't work the washing machine and all that. They're a strong couple, and it was the same in Next of Kin, it was, you know, it's the same in Conversations from a Long Marriage. And I think keeping that balance is why you get the dual audience of couples watching and men liking it. And it's not a woman's piece.
3: Only on Distinct Nostalgia.
1: When I ran
3: out of children's books, I used to read from women's own. Who knew a four-year-old would be gripped by an article on Cross Stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to distinct nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You. Starring June Brown and Sam Barnard. Mum thinks I need protecting. But I don't need protecting
1: from love.
2: Pity that social worker of his can't do something useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot. Put in a complaint.
1: I like her, I said. And then, silence. What's the problem, I asked. She'll take advantage of you, Mum warned.
3: Missing you. By Richard Vergette, with the legendary June Brown, only on Distinct Nostalgia, more than a podcast. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a cup. And that caught on, yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think. It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy, creating a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues.
1: Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever had to say in my life.
3: But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence.
1: I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him, and I couldn't. In Helsinki, they were saying, I can't believe you've made this film. It's incredible because
3: it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nicol, and Chris Bisson. It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before. They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com. This year has claimed the lives of far too many people to coronavirus. One of the many we lost was the great comedian Eddie Large. One half of that fabulous double act, Little and Large. And he's asked, you know, when did you meet and all that. And he have the stock answers, you know, oh, we met by accident, you know, around him over on a zebra crossing, you know, things like that. Sid Little remembers his long-time comedy partner and their years together making people laugh. I'd be stood there and Eddie would go like, uh, you know, look at him. If he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, he'd look like a zip. If he had four more navels, he'd look like a flute. You know, <laughs> you know when he wears his blue suit, he looks like a refill for a viral. Because you know, I was thin, I was really skinny, and Eddie was on the stocky side. And that's when the comedy started coming in. That's Little Remembers Large, only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.
2: Obviously, as a writer, and you're doing a long series, was it about 30-odd episodes of this all together? I think?
1: Yes, we actually wrote 49 episodes for London Weekend for ITV of Second Thoughts, which was a huge amount of episodes to write, considering it was just Gavin and I writing them over a period of four years, five series. And, um, uh, yes, it was quite a task, but a very enjoyable one. And when you add on the 31 episodes we'd written for Radio 4 previously that's uh, something like 80 episodes that we did in four years which is quite a marathon but most enjoyable
2: so the things you got to build obviously you got the whole thing with um the the, the ex-wife that was a, a, a great thing you got the kids yeah. as well who were a constant yes. challenge weren't they trying to deal yes. with them uh, yes, then absolutely. you then you got the issue of, of just them and their relationship and where that yes. was going or wasn't going or whatever um so i mean how did you get to a point where you thought, God, we're going to run out of ideas here? I mean, how, how did it feel in terms of coming up we're with We just waited for
1: the kids to do something more appalling or for, for Gavin to go out and, on a binge and not come back and then we could write a series about leaving each other. No, it was... It was there were stories in life, but also, you know, with, with writers of any comedy, however much it's triggered by life, when you get to series five, you're actually listening to other people's stories, bringing in other... And also, the the characters begin to define the storylines. For instance, the wonderful God that is Geoffrey Whitehead, who played the original managing editor of the magazine, um, who had an absolute Labrador love for Belinda when she was working there, could play the piano and was also obsessed with his health and and astronomy, astrology rather. He used to come in and say, Mystic Meg says I'm going to be in a room of cameras today. So... We used all those quirks shamelessly and uh, at one point um, Jeffrey was playing the piano for Belinda. He's playing Barry Manilow, I Can't Smile Without You, and she walked into the bar and she screamed shut up at him. But it, it was just lovely because he could play the piano, you know, so you just use people's strengths um, uh, for that sort of story and um, and gradually you learned how their relationship developed, you... you Often used that in, in triggers or uh, the way they didn't like this or they preferred that or they liked Woody Allen films or you know so it was it was a sort of uh, organic thing that grew and and changed shape as the series developed as the st- the different series developed. The other thing, um, the
2: other thing is of course you have got this situation whereby. Um, it was her children, wasn't it? It wasn't his children, yes. it was her children. So yes. he'd got to get used to them as well, because that's always yes. difficult when a you know oh, yes. two people yes. come together. And I, I, I'm, My mum and uh, dad got married again, and I had to have a stepdad. And I think the first few years of, of, of being together, I don't think we hardly talked at all. In the it's my not stepdad. easy, you know, is it? It's not no. easy at all. It's so not easy. So there's comedy in that very much yes. so, isn't there? there's you comedy
1: know? in that. And what I didn't want was that he would be some a dictatorial... Um, annoying bachelor type, he actually, the kids listened more to him and he was much more on their side because she does say at various times, you're always sticking up for them, what about me? You know." And uh, this is very much like us because Gavin treated the kids that were his stepchildren uh, like adults, really. He didn't sort of tell them what to do, even though they were sometimes appalling. But then, you know, he just philosophically sort of stood back and let them... Tell him what was wearing them and was very, very, a very good stepfather. And I wanted Jimmy to be like that, which he was. You know, often the kids, you know, she sets him to tell um, Mark, you know, uh, the facts of life. Well, she gets him to sit down in front of a BBC programme about the facts of life and she goes out and leaves them to it. And <laughs> it's just one of those things that a stepfather would find. Pretty difficult, but actually he handles it really well. And in fact, obviously, Mark ends up telling him more than he knows, really, himself. But it's just one of those things you can turn around because it's obviously one of those classic comedy boomtish moments that you have to be careful
2: of. You've got Mark, who becomes a bit of a stooge for some comedy as well, doesn't he? Because he's he's obviously trying to find your girls and all the rest of yes, it. And, uh, yes, yes. And, and you've got that, you know, uh, he, he, he he thinks he... Oh, I think there's one particular episode, isn't there, where Nadia Sawala ends up in Nadia. the programme. Nadia. That's right. That was
1: a true story. And the funny thing about that was that this girl came into the meeting... And her name in the episode was Nadia Comenci or something. She didn't use the surname Sawala. She came in for a read-through with the director. And um, I said to Julia afterwards, do you know, it's amazing because she actually looks as if she could be your sister. She said, she is my sister, Jan. I I said, you tell Robin, the director, before... Uh, you know, he finds out because he really, he really should be told, you know, if he's happy to have her, that's fine, but don't say, you know, so Julia told Robin and he said, I thought there was something familiar about her, but she, it was, and this is exactly what happened to us, this, um, this Italian girl, exchange student, came to stay <laughs> and knocked at the door and said, uh, is, you know, is, is, is Jesus here? And we went, um, no. But uh, if you're religious, there is a church around the corner. She said, "No, he's he's a Mexican student that I'm going out with." And she had all this butter soft Versace luggage, and um, I'm. She just said, "When uh, when my son Tom opened the door, hello, I am Gina. I am sleeping with you. <laughs> so he with, <went>, mum." She <laughs> so wasn't quite at the age very good. So but they had this ma- this love of football between them. So when he ended up in her bedroom, they really were talking about Milan <laughs> FC, which nobody had believed except other football fans.
2: <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> so it, it was it was it was, a, it was a lovely lovely episode and of course, you know, a lot of people now probably didn't know then that They'd probably never not seen Nadia that much at that no, point, had they? Nadia
1: was very new on the scene. Well, Julia was only about seventeen, eighteen, you know. So Nadia, she just breezed in, and there was just that sort of thing about. My goodness, her hair's like yours as well. And uh, Julia kept very quiet, and then she said, "It is my sister." I don't know if she'd have said anything to me if I hadn't said, "Julia, she looks just like you." It was, so, it, was so, it was her mannerisms as well. The Suala girls are all pretty full on and they, they are very much, um, the half Jordanian Bedouin bit comes out and they get quite extravagant. So I could tell there was something there, but yeah, it was a very funny moment. Now, and, in, um,
2: in part, in part, obviously there, were, there was a period of time when you used to spend quite a lot of time at his at his work, and obviously that's yes. where the ex wife would come in and whatever. Yes, and then you brought in the the, the, the sort of wine bar kind of play kind yes. of thing, which yes, yes, which yes, was becoming becoming a thing at the time, wasn't it? Actually, it was. It?
1: Yeah. Yes, we called the um, the bar that we created in Second Thoughts Harpos. It was a play on the fact that was a very successful club in uh, in London called Grouchos, obviously, so it was another mark 's brother and it was there we we decided to have a bar because Richard, who was uh, originally bill 's boss that's the magazine managing editor, uh, gave it all up and opened a bar because Jeffrey could play the piano, so there was a piano in the bar, and he serenaded um, the completely indifferent Liza. Every time she came through the door with a Barry Manilow selection. But it was a very fun new location for the show, and uh, and lots of things went on there that couldn't have happened in an office. And at one time, one of the Julia worked there as a uh, behind the bar, and various relationships started and finished there. And um, th- that was where I think Belinda learned that Linda had gone into labour.
2: Yeah because so, there was a, there was yeah. a there was a there was a debate on wasn't there about who was the father whether it yes. in terms of the two people well, in the bar yeah
1: yes but but a lot like we know about cheers you know there's a, a bar is a very good place for people to come and go it was just a very another useful device and it was a studio set so that was useful as well so we could have some variety from the house cuz really you just want you don't want more than three sets on um, on stage at the, ta- at the same time for a studio audience And so we had the usually the kitchen, um, very occasionally the horn and landing, and the bedroom was just a corner set, so if we brought in the bar, that was fine. But the magazine office was a location shoot. Euston Road, one of those huge glass buildings that was right at the top, where Geoffrey Whitehead, as Richard, used to plight his troth by lurking behind various aspidistra and jumping out on Liza... (laughs) when she was trying to concentrate. He was, he's physically hilarious. And James Bolham used to say, why would I work with such a blooming tall actor? Because he was much taller than everybody. And he loomed brilliantly. He's just hilarious. Physically funny. You know, he's a sort of a bit like Jacques Tati. He's a physically funny actor. And he was delighted because often he plays judges, senior policemen, Jeffrey Whitehead often plays that very recently though since second thoughts really he's been in playing the father in quite a lot of mainstream comedies i think he's lee max uh, girlfriend's father is not he anyway um in not going out but he's certainly doing quite a lot of that those sort of roles and he's funny so i'm glad that he's doing it because he's brilliant
2: one of my other favorite ones episodes was um the one where uh, Linda's ill. She's got the flu or something yes. and she, yeah. she can't go to the ball or whatever it, whatever it is no. and uh, no. I just think that was beautifully played. I thought it was really, really well they done. They were on. very
1: good, weren't they? Because that's such a, um, you know, she, she runs everything, basically, and when she's not there, she's still running everything by shouting down the stairs, phoning down the stairs, doing everything, you know, sending the dog down the stairs with a message. I mean, you, it's absolutely true The how... People don't think of their things that mothers and house runners think of. And uh, it's tough when you're, you're not well. But she was a rotten nurse as well. When he was ill, it was all, what you're still ill, you know, after 20 minutes, you know, slamming into the...
2: It's just man flu. It's just man flu. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. She was
1: a very unsympathetic nurse. In fact, I think she rolled him out of bed at once. Was
2: she, was she, I can't remember, was she a good cook
1: or not? Oh, uh, yes, yeah, Linda, was, Linda was very much in character from that, but he could cook too. And, in fact, one of the episodes which I love the fact that the late and wonderful Dennis Norden chose as his all-time from, you know, clips um, from shows uh, was the end of an a, a, a episode called Recipe for Disaster in which Jimmy was cooking supper for some friends of Linda's he'd never met but she was very keen that they came over and met him and she hadn't seen them for a long time. And he was cooking cullen Skink, which is a Scottish sort of fish stew. And she was getting into a state and and uh, Mark was, co- was coming in with... Joe was coming in with his pizza. Look, I've just got... T- take it up, put it in. What do you want me to do? eat the garage, Mum? You know, sort of. And Julia had spilt uh, brown ale on the sofa cushions and it was all... Linda was getting really jumpy and and James said, just go upstairs, She, she said, oh they'll be here in a minute, just go upstairs, I will sort it out, we've got everything ready and he puts his hand on the saucepan and it was on the hot plate and he throws it up in the air, physically chucks it up in the air and they had this screaming map and the doorbell rings of course. And so they're screaming abuse of it at each other all the way, you know. This stupid person, she said. You know, you you're getting hysterical. He said. I'm homicidal, and they go to the, arguing all the way to the front door all the way, and she he says, I, I, I'll get it. She said, they're my friends. You don't even know them, and kicks him in the shins. And they're struggling. And then Joe comes down and says, which he shouldn't have done. He came into shot at that point for reasons that I don't... Anyway, we had to continue. And they hurtle to the front door in the middle of this massive argument. Had it, brain, stupid person, da, da 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 Fling open the door, and he's covered in colour and skin And they just say, hello. And that's the end of ep. You never meet these people. And we had five cameras on it. Because we couldn't do it more than once and the dog was shunted out of the way because he had tripped everybody up and they just ran it they just ran it it was literally two minutes and they had to do it bang and the saucer went up this fight started the dialogue halfly was into into uh, improvised slightly because they were getting really rushed to the front door and then then the camera shot round and had them the incoming shot of them opening the door and their two smiling faces. Hello. So it, was, it was a great success. And I know Dennis Norden loved it. He was very nice about it. And it was one of the most successful episodes. Well, most memorable because it was such a very good payoff. No.
2: We were saying how long it lasted. It lasted. You had a lot of series on radio. Then you had a lot of series on television. Yes, um, so it lasted a lot. You, you had a good run. Um, we what, did. What was the What was the general
1: response from the public? What What feedback did you get from people? Oh, we had fantastic. Like we won two American awards. Bizarrely, two international awards at the New York Festival for best international comedy for two years running. Uh, so, so did 92. it travel?
2: Did it travel? Did it end up in other countries? Yes, yeah? it
1: ended up in America. Um, as an English, we didn't remake it no, for America. It ended up being shown in
2: America.
1: Um, and yes, the reviews... that's, a, that's
2: unusual, well, isn't it? Actually, often it doesn't carry, and they they end up wanting to remake stuff, don't they?
1: Yeah. Well, it wasn't. Sh- I don't think it was. Sh- it was shown on one of the PBS or one of the s- smaller channels. It it wasn't shown on. Um, they tended not to show at that time. Many homemade English comedies. They wanted to remake them. Uh, They, uh, but um, but yes, it did. It did. It had great reviews. It had really lovely reviews. People, people like Geoffrey Phillips in the Evening Standard, people or Sunday Times, people really liked it because it uh, was. I think it was very much um, a smart comedy. It wasn't patronising and it wasn't. Didn't have stupid people in it. You know, we just didn't want to write about stupid husbands who didn't understand emotion. And, um, and and I didn't want Linda to be some kind of housewife who didn't have a role and a career and a smart, interested... And it wasn't, it wasn't it wasn't—it the kind of thing,
2: you, it was comedy, but you were covering, occasionally you were, you were covering serious topics or, or yes. things that people had to deal with on a regular basis. Yes. And that's yeah, what, exactly. often that's Especially where the, the comedy kids. comes from, isn't it, in reality? Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, exactly. With the kids, you know, broken hearts and broken legs. Joe broke his leg in one episode and he actually had broken his leg. So we had to write a whole, whole episode <laughs> around Mark's broken leg. Um, and it happened when he, was, it's an episode when he went out to stay with his dad, who was then living in... Uh, in uh, America, in Miami. So we had, to, we had to write this whole episode when he came back about Joe and his broken leg um, and the, the sympathy votes that he got.
0: Still to come in our comedy writing legends conversation with Jan Etherington. Why did it come to an end then?
1: London Weekend by asking us what we'd like to do next. And, you know, you can go on. Not many shows go on after five series. The kids were growing up, that was the thing, and they were moving at the age when they would have left home. In fact, Julia does go to university. And so there was a point where they would both be on their own, which would have been fine, but the interesting relationship going on from there was Linda hitting the menopause and splitting up with James, we thought, and Julia coming back to share her life.
0: Comedy Writing Legends, in conversation with Jan Etherington, part two. Coming soon to Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.
1: Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well, staying home.